Hi, I'm Shaylee Shibaxi Ritchie. And I'm her co-host and sister, Kosha Baxi Karstens. Spoiler alert, we are sisters. And best friends. We grew up in the middle of Illinois, two little brown girls in a heartland farming community. We were certainly loved. We had lots of friends, but we never felt like we really fit in. We started to realize that there were a lot of people who felt similarly othered. And that realization was the seed for this podcast. Then, during the 2020 election cycle, we watched now Vice President Kamala Harris reclaim her power and story from Mike Pence. We saw what a badass she was, and we got inspired. We wanted to hear, share, and amplify the voices of everyone who has felt other. We wanted to give everyone a platform, regardless of who they are, who they love, or where they're from, to reclaim their power and their place, to stand up and say, I am speaking. Hello, hello, I am speaking listeners. We are unfortunately nearing the end of our birthday surprise month of Shalushi's. It is second to the last episode today with Dr. Smriti Mehta. She is our aunt on our mother's side by marriage. She is married to our mom's cousin brother. And we are all so, so, so close. Actually, our first episode of I Am Speaking with Expert Voices was with Dr. Sheetal Kircher. Uh, Dr. Smriti Mehta is her mother. And you will hear the, the brilliance and the joy and the kindness definitely runs in the family. Uh, you'll hear us call her Smriti Mommy. M-A-M-I is the word that we use for mother's brother's wife. So that's why we call her Smurthy Mommy. She has been hugely influential. She was such a joy to speak to. Um, it was so wonderful to spend, you know, two hours just talking about our lives what her influences have been, how she dealt with discrimination as a very, very educated woman of color. Happy birthday, Shailushi. It has been so much fun for me to, um, to put together this month for you and, you know, to step through some of these people who, who mean such a great deal to you, but also you clearly have meant a great deal to them. Everybody enjoy this episode. Dr. Shmurthy Mehta, she is speaking. Hi, do, please do not ask me if I know who it is. I don't know who this. Lord almighty. You've been salty lately on these. You do well, not like, you do not like, I, first of all, out of all, I've only asked that once. Twice. Okay. You asked it the first time, which was a fair question, <laughs> but then you asked, right. And, but then you asked it a second time. And I was like, no, no, I don't think I asked about Emily because I'm like, there's no way you would have guessed that. Maybe it's just like our side conversations. Probably. Like, yes, probably. Okay. This person, I was like, I literally, but don't I also know think, I also think part of this is 
you hate not knowing and not having control. And so like, you're like, don't ask, like you come on a little salty, right? I probably, yeah, I probably do. And I don't like having, I don't like knowing or not having control when I actually have to be responsible for things. Like if I were just, if I were joining here to observe you talking to someone, I'd be like, well, I don't give a shit who it is. So if this doesn't go well, everyone's going to know that I didn't do a good job. Okay. I, I don't think that I think you're making a huge leap. They're all very, very easy. You can so, say whatever you want. I'm still telling you that it's stressful. We won't me do out it again. Not though. to know. No, it's, I mean, look, it can be okay that I'm stressed out. I'm just stressed out. Okay. Lightly stressed out. I'm not like, oh my God, I'm going to have to like come, like my child's been kidnapped and I have to come up with a million dollars. That's the next, that's the next month of um, surprise guests. Okay. Okay. This person. I know this person. You know, this person, this person knows you very well. You've known him a long, long time. Is it dad? (laughs) Also not dad. No. Close your eyes. Okay, it's connecting to audio, connecting to audio. Okay, ready? Yes. Three, two, one. Oh, but now she's on mute. Now Hi, she's on mute. Mom. You're on mute, Smithy Mommy. Unmute yourself. Oh, there okay, you there are. There we go. There you are. Hi. Okay. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not used to iPad, so that's why, you know. That's okay. So, so was this a surprise or it, you went like, OMG? Why? Always, she- everything's <laughs> been a surprise. This whole... This whole time, it's been a surprise. Don, Don is the one, your friend. No, she, we already talked to her. We had her on last season. Yeah, she had on her. We had a lot of people on already, but so you know, this this month, you know, for Shailshi's birthday, I wanted people who who are part of her world, who have been an influence on her, who love her, and who would just be an easy conversation to have. So I thought. You know, Smitty Mommy's been part of our lives for since the beginning. We have pictures yeah. of you <laughs> holding Shayla Shu when she was a baby. So I know. let's let's explain who this is. This is our aunt. This is our mom's cousin brother's wife. Um, right. We call her Smurthy Mommy. Smurthy Metha is her name. And she has three daughters. And one of them has been on our podcast. So your youngest daughter, Sheetal is my age and she was, uh, she was our first expert on our expert series. Yeah. You know, we go so far back and you have been a huge influence in our lives. I thought, Oh my gosh. Yes. We need to talk to Smithy mommy. Before your parents were married. <laughs> yeah. Actually, yeah. I actually, I go back uh, with Purvi way, way before because our parents, family, my parents and, and her parents, we are all related at some level. Mm-hmm. So I have known Purvi, she was, I don't know, maybe 10 years old. Oh, no kidding. I didn't know. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. We, we knew her way back as uh, Purvi Pargi. And you still like her. Yes. <laughs> oh, 60 <Of> years later. <laughs> you know, you know, a lot of people have not realized that your mom has a heart of gold. You cannot deny that. No, no, nobody can deny that. I th- in fact, I would argue that everybody knows mom has a heart of gold. Some people don't know how to hold the boundary. Mom just gives and gives and gives. Yes. And then rightfully so, her feelings get hurt when people don't return yes. their generosity. I think everybody, everybody knows mom has a heart of gold. The problem is that 
some people will take advantage of that. Yeah, but that's, there are always people like that. And of course. I think that's part of growing up as you compartmentalize and let go. Yeah, I think so too. You're right. I think, I think the, the biggest thing for everybody to learn is um, you can't change people's lives and you have to be yourself and let go at some point and be happy. And that's one of the biggest arguments. I mean, now we're all going to sit here and do like armchair therapy for mom. But <laughs> one of the biggest arguments I've had with mom is when she continually gets her her feelings hurt or she gets upset because somebody has, you know, been mean to her or something. And I'm like, you know, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. It's like, stop being surprised that that, you know, that these people are hurting your feelings. You are who you are. They are who they are. You're not going to change them. And as I've grown older, that's one of the major arguments I have with mom. She's so want, she gives and gives and gives, and she so wants other people to be the same kind of, you know, kind, generous person. And that's just not who people are. Yeah. You know. Then our oldest daughter, Moha and Shailushi are almost exactly a year apart. And I still remember the day when I was actually staying at my friend's house and I got this phone call about Shailushi's arrival. And of course, excitement. <laughs> <laughs> although, although I thought, my goodness, how are these people going to pronounce her name, Shailushi? It is just twisted all the way, but I think it it definitely been a, a, a experience. I will say that it it's gotten better in recent yeah. years. I yeah. think as more and more people are aware, right? And I think they're trying. I I thought Smruti was, you know, it, my name has been butchered in every possible way. It's the M and the R together. There's not a lot of English words that have the smr those consonants together without having a vowel in there right english language does not have half words a lot they have hard time pronouncing and i think most of the indian english spellings are so phonetic and it's hard for people to kind of grasp that you know one of the things that always as we talk about names one of the things that always confused me indian names for example the alphabet that they come from is not even, does not correlate to a Western alphabet, does not correlate to English alphabet. So all of us, you know, who have anglicized spellings of our Sanskrit names, they're all phonetic because there's no way you could actually write it in any sort of language that would make sense, right? So you're just like, okay, sound it out, sound it out, sound it out. And I have this experience all the time with people, even though I have my pronunciation on my Zoom screen, people still stumble, one. But two, people are like, how do you say your name? And I say, oh, it's Shailushi. And they go, oh, just like it's spelled. And I was like, yes, I don't have a Scottish or Irish name. I'm not Sorsha, spelled Seorsi. It's not that hard. And I think people get so anxious when they see a name that they're not familiar with, that they just go, oh my God, I don't know how to say it. I'm freaked out. I mean, people, I mean, my name, so Moha is your oldest daughter. Kosha is my name. And those are really straightforward. And I've talked to Moha. People still get them wrong. Right. You know, and I'm like, kosher is actually an English word. (laughs) 
right? They call me Kasha. And if you saw kosher, you wouldn't say kosher. Did you pick, so your, your daughter's names are Moha, Anuja, and Sheetal. Right. Did you, how did you pick their, I, I don't think I know the, the story. How did you pick their names? Well, Moha, um, I, I, I stayed at one of our relatives' house when I was doing my PhD research in Bombay. And their daughter's name was Moha, who I really loved. She's such a pretty little thing. And, you know, I was young, newly married. So like that name, Moha. Moha is somebody who can charm you. And I think she, she is able to do that. She has lived up to that. Oh, absolutely. Anuja means uh, the younger sibling. So then we were thinking if it was a boy, it would be Anuj means younger son. Anuja means younger daughter, somebody who is born after somebody else. That's Anuja. Uh, by the time Sheetal was born, I think we were just struggling in the hospital and the nurse was sitting there and said, come on, come on, come on. You need the name now. Ujwal was on the phone and we just went, you like Sheetal? I like Sheetal. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> Don't tell her that. Does Anuja know that her name basically means little sister? Yeah. I'm sure a lot of times she doesn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's basically like, oh, so my name means younger. I'm being defined in someone else in relation to someone else. <laughs> yeah, they are all three of them are very different. They have their own uh, personalities, which is good. I think uh, you allow them to develop their own thing. Um, in our generation, I think we, we did not do as much as you guys are doing. Um, we had our own inhibitions or preconceived idea of what kids should be. And I'm sure, I'm sure Moha got the most of that. By, Anuj, by the time Anuja was born, we learned a little bit. By the time she, she, Moha still says, Sheetal is getting away with everything. Is part of that that you were just tired? Because that's what I think no. with mom and dad and like Chirayu, even Spruha, they were just But tired. I would like to point out that the difference between Moha and Sheetal is not nearly as much as the difference between me and Chirayu. Like, right, right. The difference, like they are all, they are all a one cohort of siblings. Yeah, that's true. Five years. You and Kosha, you and I are like significantly of, we're of a different generation in Spur and Triunar, right? Like we did not grow up with any internet. And by the time they were 10, they were all interneting. Yeah, that's true. And, and chatting on messenger and all the stuff that, you know, we didn't even dream about doing when we were 10 years old. I think, I think it was, it was combination of, tired and us learning because oh, of course when you have a first child you are you are learning and yeah. and we didn't yeah. have any support system here so it was all you know mm -hmm. uh we learned by ourselves so we i i'm sure we i may we made more mistakes when moha was born and then we learned by experience and mm -hmm. and yeah, i always say do the best you can and hope that things turn out right <laughs> you know i think you're right with you mommy that as the more you go through experiences, the more you're like, you learn. oh, this is, this is okay. Yeah, that's okay. You start to develop that trust in your children, first of all. And another thing is you have to remember is, is I'm sure you have daughters. So, you know, you know, both of you. Bringing up daughters, you know, mothers, mothers' hearts are always in fear. No matter how much people say or not say, because you hear a lot of them, well, they are worried about boys too. Boys get in trouble or boys get 
you know, bad stuff happened to them. But still to this date, we know that girls' parents are more concerned about girls being out there. You know, I can imagine from, you know, from mom and dads or like your neutral mama's perspective of like, when we were children, you know, when I was 15 years old, it was never okay for me to be out by myself late at night. So even the 9 p.m. or the 9.30 was a real stretch for mom and dad. They're still products of their environment as everyone is, right? So they're, they're coming into it with their ideas of what's right and wrong. Um, and the oldest or the, you know, the oldest kids end up like being, being the icebreakers. They're the ones that have to take most of the, the rules and the fighting and the, you know, the, the conversations and the arguments about like, what's okay and what's not okay. Right. But I think also like Moha, you know, your oldest daughter is, you know, she's, she's brilliant and she played the violin and she did a lot of the quote, I'm putting this in quotes. She did a lot of the right things. She listened and she, she really didn't step out of line. And she says that herself, like she was a really good kid and she didn't really have the, you know, that she didn't really want to be a troublemaker. Like she wasn't she, like, yeah, she wasn't rebellious. She wasn't rebellious. After, after 20, 30 years. Now, when I think back, uh, maybe she should have been a little bit rebellious, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's what I say. Maybe we said no to too many things and she listened. I very much appreciate that. You know, the thing is, I, you can, nobody can be a perfect parent. Right. You do the best you can at that time in your life. Uh, which is circumstances change over time and you have to you have to change and you'll make mistakes so do kids make mistakes you find a middle ground somewhere I mean anyone with not even with more than one child anyone who's been around anybody with more than one child so Kosha has one but you know Kosha has seen my kids in action and it's like you can follow the best parenting advice and then you get one that it works for perfectly. And the other one, it's like complete garbage and that whatever you're doing is useless and does not work at all. And you have to rethink everything because it doesn't work for that kid. I, I remember when Mia was little and we used to babysit a lot because of Sheetal's and Matt's residency. So Mia would be, you know, we teach her songs. We count red cards when we are driving back and forth. And, and she learned all these things. So, of course, when Jacob was two, three years old, we started the same thing, right? And Jacob would say, I don't want to count it. I don't want to count any counts. <laughs> okay. Song? No. He just wanted to stare out the window. You know, kids are different. Kids are different. Absolutely. Going back to mom, that's one of the things, you know, that I know Shailshi has had to talk to mom about because Shailshi's kids are so different. And mom has such a close relationship with Isha, but not very much with Lex, but Lex is really close to dad, to Nanaji, because of the math and the science and, you know, all that stuff. And mom just, mom has more of the artistic drama, you know, that music like Isha. Mom has taken that really personally a couple of times. And Shailushi has said like, they're two different human beings. They're two different human beings. That's right. That's right. It's just the way it is. And I have at least tried not to take it personally, which is like, no, no, I'm, you're just going to be, you know, 15 in a couple of months. 
because our bond wasn't super, super mommy daughter, cutesy cutesy when we were, when Isha was little, it's actually become much more comfortable now that Isha's pushing away from me and I'm not hurt. I don't miss the baby Isha. I'm like, oh, what do you need? That's part of the part of the phase because when you are young, you baby them, then you start hating mom. Like, oh my God, she's miserable. And I still remember Sheetal kind of crying and like pouting as to well, such and such mom does this and such and mom this. <laughs> you know, and you are so boring. You know, that was and- like last week she thought was pouting about it. <laughs> Talk about talk about your relationship with your daughters and how they were different then and how they've changed. Um, I think they are more friends now than than they were before. Not all three have the same level. Sheetal is somebody who is she's an open book with both of us. Ujwal and I. She doesn't see the difference between us. You know, she's she's very close to both of us equally. Um, Anuja is more close to me. I and Anuja and I on one-on-one kind of do well. You know, Joel is quite reserved. So Moha is a quiet type. Moha uh, depends if she she wants to talk, she will talk, but sometimes not all the time. When she, when they were younger, they were not friends because it was always mom is an authoritarian person <laughs> you have to be an authoritarian person otherwise no, I, they just run rampant everywhere but i am less of an authoritarian than ujwal is it's, it's, i just i try to not bend the rules but try to meet them halfway to at least if both of us get mad and they're gonna turn away you know when they were younger uh, you can't just yell at them all the time. Although we did, I'm sure I did. But I always try, at least try. The girls may have a different answer, but <laughs> we'll ask them separately. Yeah, I, I'm really, you know, it's amusing because we've heard this from Sheetal. Has Sheetal said that, Kosha, that like your parents were always so fun and easygoing? Yeah, 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 yeah. She says she remembers mom and dad as being super fun and low key and easygoing. Us, Ujwal and me. No, no, she remembers my mom and dad, our mom and dad. I agree with her. <laughs> and and what's funny is that that's exactly how Kosh and I remember you and Ujwal Mama. Wow. It was so easy, it was so fun. We would go up there for a week and it was just like, come and have lunch and come and have dinner and go to sleep whenever. Because we were not your mom and dad. Right, and I think that's what it was. Because I'm like, my mom and dad are not easygoing. Are, they're more fun for the grandkids than they ever were for us, which I think is always the way it is. But it's funny how you remember that differently. Right. But that, that's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. You know, mm-hmm. we provided everything. You know, you have to be a little bit strict. You know, can't let the kids just, you know, that's what we believed in. And I think our first generation people, we came from a very different society. Oh yeah. Okay. We we came from society where even to to the date my father passed away when I was sixty years old. Um, if he said something, I could not talk back. 
that was just not done. So initially when the kids were young and talking back for whatever <laughs> reason, it was hard for us. If Fujwal would get mad or something because he couldn't, he can't take it. I have, one of us has to be, you know, you have to be bad cop, good cop and kind of make sure they don't run away. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Although, although several times I have tried where, you know, we, they would be fighting in the back. I'm sure your mom has done that. And I would say, I'm going to pull the car over. <laughs> Get off. Yeah. A couple of times you tried to make them run away. The, the, the difference is when, when I did that to kids, when we were out and they would, they would just quiet down and be good girls. So I tried the same thing with me and Jacob because they do the same thing. Right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I said, enough of this noise. You know, I'm going to pull my car over and get off. So then Jacob tells Mia very quietly, oh, she just says that she's not going to really do that. <laughs> Oh, that's good. Oh, no, they called your bluff. <laughs> Ujwal and I were laughing so hard as to how, how see how the generation has changed. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, right. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, Jacob, Jacob and me are like, that's illegal. She can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what we said that, you know, we should not try this because they might call 911. <laughs> I know. It's, it is really different. It is, I'm, so it's interesting to me as we're talking about you know, our childhood and how we remember you and then how, you know, Moha and Nujanshita remember our parents. And there was definitely that we would spend a week at each other's houses on alternate years. So some one week, one year, you know, they would come down to Streeter and then another year would come up to Libertyville. And that was, that was really, really so fun. And I, you know, I think I have this, I don't remember. See, this is a kind of stuff where I'm like, were you working at that time? You must have been working, but maybe you took a week off of vacation or? No, I was not working at that time until Sheetal turned three. That's when I started working. I started working uh, when Sheetal was three years old because. Um, it's boring being a stay-at-home parent. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I started working. This is boring. You, you know, you, I, think, I think we made a conscious decision uh the babysitting and stuff was not nannies and all there were not that you know prevalent right your your mom made the same decision okay similar decision Mm -hmm. okay yeah Yeah. um because ujwal it was the kids were young he would not be able to take care of the kids so we made a decision as to okay he should focus on it has never have to worry about how home and anything and remember our parents were here off and on all the time so, you know, our lives were different than what you have. Um, so when Sheetal started to go to daycare, three, three, three and a half, then I started looking for a job. And then guess what happened? Because I had too much education and no experience in this country. So for the first year, I couldn't find a job because they would not give me the job for the PhD or master's level. And they said, okay, give me whatever it's okay well you don't have experience so what am i supposed to do you know this is like i'm too qualified to do things that i might be able to do but i don't have enough experience to do things that are below my education level what do you mean i have phd are you telling me i can't file papers yeah but they said we cannot give you that job it's just 
it just it, it's not we don't do that because there are maybe 20 other people who can do that job and appropriately you know so i had a really hard time so you you did you work in india so you got your phd in india and then you worked at a university there yeah i was a, i was a professor for from masters to phd for like 3 4 years i did not know that in microbiology yeah and then you came here and you had moha here yeah and then Ujjal Mama was already at Abbott. Yeah, he was already at Abbott. Then I, I finished my work, but I wrote my thesis from here. And then I went back. Yeah, the PhDs are different in India. They are not core system. Over here, the PhDs are, uh, in, in India in those days, now this might be changed, but uh, masters over here is lot less. Yeah. Yeah. Indian PhD is a, a, a fellowship here. So what people do here in PhD is what we did in masters. So was your, was your plan to come here and stay here or was your plan to come here and go back? No, actually my plan was to do PhD here because when I was doing my master's thesis, um, uh, the professor who I used to work with, Dr. Godwin, he was at uh, Champaign. University of Illinois. So when Ujwal and I got engaged, that made perfect sense. Although I didn't know how far is Champagne. So we said, oh, he's near Chicago. So I'm just gonna go. <laughs> and then Ujwal probably was saying that, are you crazy? It's just 300 miles away from here. I mean, it's <laughs> near Chicago compared to say like Dallas. California, right? <laughs> right, or San Francisco. But it's not like, it's not like Chicago to like Naperville. Right. Unfortunately, what happened was right after Ujwal and I got engaged, sort of, you know, our engagement story is really weird. You people probably have heard it, but would never, never understand. Tell our listeners. I don't think I've heard it in detail. What is your story? My, my, actually what happened was when Ujwal came here in 67, the arranged marriage, you know, one of our relatives that kind of said, okay, here is a girl and my dad and his dad were sort of friends. And then Ujwal was coming here. So he said, are you kidding me? I don't want to talk to any girls right now, you know? So then he <laughs> came here and then I was, I know I was studying at that time, whatever. And then the thing came back in again in 1970, where then we corresponded. We looked at each, each other's pictures. We never met and we got engaged. You did. So you had written letters. I wrote letter because he was probably shy or he thought that the Indian girls are so kind of Indian that <laughs> I would talk to my mom and I was very close to my mother. So I said, mom, what do I do? You know, I mean, how do I get to know this person? What's the matter with this person? <laughs> yeah, he was. Just, and then I wrote to him first and then he started writing back. Oh, okay. The unfortunate thing that happened that he wrote first letter, first time, you know, and my, my mom read it actually, because, you know, I wanted her to see what kind of person he was, because we didn't know, I mean, you know, and then um, after that letter arrived in next two weeks, my mom suddenly got sick and passed away. Oh, oh. I was finishing my master's degree. So the original plan was for him to come over there and get married and then I would go with him. That could not happen because my mom passed away. 
my younger sister was 10 years old. And she was 45 years old. My mom was 45 and passed up. Yeah. So then, of course, I would not. I said, we can't get married. I have to run the house, you know. Uh, So he decided that, okay, I will just wait, you know. So then I started doing PhD there because that's a story in the sense that my mom always wanted to be a doctor. She could not become a doctor because they didn't have money and my grandfather passed away. So she had to take care of the house. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The money was for the boys, not for the girls. So she wanted me to be a doctor and I kind of messed up in first year of college. So there might be partied a lot. She went out and partied. Did you party? (laughs) No, I was just, I just wasted my, I was too dependent of my mother to to coach me and all that. I kind of like the story. I kind of like the version that you went out on. <laughs> Are you kidding? In India, you know, if we looked at the boys, somebody would yell at us. Looking at boys was considered party, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. That's, that's as far as you can go, you know. So anyway, so then I started my PhD and then, then his mom got sick. So he came for emergency visa. And that time Vietnam War was going on. So when he went back and filled out the form, he didn't realize that he uh, status would change like from unmarried to married. And it's, oh, you said your mom is sick. You went to India to get married. So we will, we will deport you. So we got, we got all, the, all the medical things and he wasn't lying. I said, he's the only son. And mom was really very, very sick. So she wanted to see him get married. Oh, okay. Okay. So that's one of the reasons why I finished my studies there for one year. Then I came back because, you know, how long was I going to stay away from him? Absolutely. But we met when he came for marriage and we did have, see, the the beauty of the whole thing was that our parents were open enough that after two and a half, three years of correspondence, when he came back, we still had option to say no to each other. Hmm. That was progressive. That was very progressive. Although we were not going to do that. We had planned our entire life in the letters. <laughs> right. Oh, wow. Do you still have them? Do you still have the letters? No. There were things I didn't want somebody else to read. <laughs> not my children. <laughs> I, I'm curious how, you know, so we have, I don't know, Kosha, have we ever told mom and dad's engagement story no, on this no. podcast I, i'm not we that's not relevant necessarily to this conversation only that listeners our our mom and dad have a similar but very you know sort of similar in structure but very different story about their engagement and their marriage um but one of the things that i thought was really interesting and i was curious to hear what you think about is you know mom was engaged to an another person for her marriage right yeah I didn't want to say that unless you wanted um, to say I'm, that they're, they're, I, they're both very happy and yeah uh, I mean I think uh, things happen in life for best you know she got your dad I mean wow yeah well I mean he's fine wow <laughs> uh, wow on so many wow, ways so many. no <laughs> well what's what's you know interesting curious and in that I you know sort of wonder if this was a concern for your parents is that when that engagement broke mom had a really 
they have, you know, Daji and Bobby had a very hard time finding somebody who would be interested to even have a conversation yes. because something must be wrong with her. And that was the woman's problem yeah. at that point. Like whoever it was, no, it doesn't matter who the boy was. It was the woman's problem. And it was definitely not Purvi's problem. No, it was not definitely. Your, I don't think it was either one of their. And at that time, I think Purvi was probably at a point where she, she would have kind of continued. And the boy just said, no, we don't really mesh. But I think that what we're trying to, what we're saying is that it doesn't even matter what the story actually is. It's that she suddenly had a black mark on her. Yes. Were your, were your parents concerned that if your, you know, so your correspondence and your sort of engagement with Ujo Mama had ended, that that would be a problem then for them to find another person for you? You know, I don't know that. I don't know that. I think I was too naive at that time to even figure all this out. And I was too buried in, I, none of those things were important. I was just, just studies and I was a huge nerd in school, you know, like really pretty, super boring person. Ujul and I both are pretty serious people. I think we are not really like fun things that kids tell. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting you say that because everyone's parents are boring to them. Like I love mom and dad and like apparently their friends think they're hilarious and our kids think that, that they're awesome, but they were, it's, I think it's impossible for mom and dads. No, it's not impossible, but it's ill-advised for moms and dads to be fun with their children all the time, because that means you're not doing what you're supposed the work of discipline. Yeah, that's true. Right. Because you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be party time central for your kids. You should, yeah, you should have fun and do fun things, but like church and I'm even mom, mom and dad say like, no, we grandkids are the reward for raising children. Like you can do, you can spoil, do all the fun things, take them everywhere, give them everything because you're not responsible yeah, that's for true. them. You know, it's just love and fun all the time. Yeah, the, the thing that I, I personally think when I look at you or you look at Sheetal and all of you, um, uh, all of our nieces and their kids and the relationship you have with your children, I don't think we had that relationship when our kids were growing up. And I think at, at some level, at some level, I regret it. It was because of the time and where we were in our life. Um, or we didn't know any better, but I wish we were more friends with kids. Right now, when I see Sheetal and Mia, they are so tight. And I don't think I was that tight with my girls because I didn't know how to probably, you know. You know, I think it's interesting. I mean, that's another thing where I think we can, all of us can look back and say, oh, I, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. I wish I would have blah, blah, blah. But in the moment at the time, everyone was just doing the best that they could with what they were handed in front of them. And I know full well, and I'm sure it's the same with you and Uja Mama, that ma ma our mom and dad were so much more progressive, so much more open, so much more emotionally demonstrative, physically demonstrative than their parents ever were to them. Absolutely. Right. So dad says he loves us. You know, we can, 
have an argument with mom or dad and say, I don't think you're right. Even when I was, you know, 12, 11, 13, backwards, uh, you know, even as a teenager, I could say, I disagree, or I don't want to do that, or why, or, you know, the way mom and dad talk about it is if you said anything like that, you would just get a backhand. Oh, yeah. How dare you? How dare you? As I said, my, I mean, my my dad passed away at 94 and I was 60 plus and I, even I was scared of him. That's how we grew up. That's how we grew up with our parents. Our kid, I'm glad our kids are not scared of us, you know, but they can, they can say, I'm not happy with what you said or you shouldn't have said that to me or what. I so very clearly remember, you know, this was, this, and I talk about this story often as uh, one of the reasons why I have, even some of the struggles I have with mom and dad, and we see things differently or whatever, that I have always felt so grateful to have parents who were, could hear me or hear us, that they had gone out to somebody's party. So, you know, it makes sense. Mom and dad would say, okay, call us if you're going to be late. You're driving somewhere, call us if you're going to be late. Or, you know, when you're in college, just call us when you get home, call us when you get there. And as you know, you're like 20 years old and you're like, what's a big deal? Nothing's going to happen. But I can under, you know, they're like, we don't, it's not you. We're worried about other people and things can happen. That's not, you have nothing to do with, right? You can be perfectly responsible and things can be awful. And we just want to know that you're safe. So mom and dad had gone out to some party uh, with their friends. This was when we were living in Orland and they said they would be home around 1130. It was home. Everyone was asleep. 1130 comes and goes 12 o'clock, 1230. They walk in the door at 145. And I was awake because of course I'm having that same reaction. What happened to them? Are they alive? Are they dead? Are they on the side of the road somewhere? Did somebody hit them, right? And they walk in and they're laughing and they're having a good time. And I, it was tables are turned. Where have you been? <laughs> oh, we were at such and such party and we were just talking and laughing. You could have called. Oh, but we were just at their house. No, you said 1130 and I've been here for two hours worried about you. How do I know that you didn't get hit by a drunk driver at one o'clock in the morning? Yeah. And at that moment, both mom and dad went, oh, you're right. You're right. We should have done that, right? Which is, I think, the kind of equality that your generation could never have. No, but we have learned. We have learned to move with the time. You know, rest in peace to Daji, our grandfather, but <laughs> mom was probably the only one who could go say anything yeah. to him. And like, when they would argue, I would hide. When I was a kid, I remember <laughs> hiding when mom would argue with Daji because I'm like, I don't, are you going to die? Like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> like, it was scary actually, but she's the only one who could say anything and, and, even to this day, okay, so out of all of our grandparents, I think Bobby is the only one, the only one who is alive. And uh, she, even to the end of his life, couldn't say anything to him. Yeah, not, you're not allowed, not allowed. It's just the times are different. I, you, can, you can compare until, you know, the cows come home. You know, it's the same thing when a lot of people talk about as to, oh, now that we are, older what is 
the kids are not going to do anything or the kids would say that well i'm i'm busy can you whatever when you are sick it's the same thing in in our our parents case they they would rub their mother in law and father in law's feet when they go to sleep our parents didn't do that you know they took care of them in our generation we did take care of our parents but not in the way they would have expected us to okay their expectations were different from how we would take care of them as to like the son comes home and gives mom the paycheck and says you know go rule over my wife and be the mean mother in law you know those were the things in in those days but we did not meet their expectations you guys will take care of us i think we have raised kids well enough that they care enough to take care of us but your method of taking care of us may not be the same as what we did for our parents to cook lunch and dinner all day long and stayed home and all that stuff that because the definitions are different that doesn't mean that you should worry about oh kids are so bad these days they are not going to take care of us so that's what moving with time you know the definitions are changed the expectations are there and that's how and the and the methods the I methods are a really good point right? is the methods are different that like you know mom we've told her we've told her the minute you start going senile and a little crazy you're going to a nursing home we're not dealing with you we're you're not moving in with us you know i even one up that i don't know if you heard me say this kosha i told mom and dad that they have about 15 years and then i'm just going to drop them off in a forest somewhere <laughs> And like you know as, no. as in the scriptures it says that that's what i joke yeah, on yeah. that i mean it's a total joke but every time mom and dad get a little bit like, like squirrely something i was like forest you know you know come to think of it <laughs> your dad is getting there this may he's turning seven yeah he's turning, that's 75 is vanna prastashram <laughs> Yeah, I know. Just time, time to leave this phase, and you just go sit in the forest. I say, I say, your warranty is up. Okay, so last twenty five years is sannyasasram. Go do tapas in the forest, and that's <laughs> it. I think about this a lot. When we were children, when I was ten years old, I cannot imagine having a grandparent in their seventies. People never made it to their. It seemed like they never made it to their seventies. And now it's like, oh, you're 70? You still got like 15 or 20 years left to live. Somebody dies in their 70s and you're like, they were kind of young. Yeah. Right? Can I know that you and Ucha Mama have a, you know, a snowbird house. Can you imagine at 20, 30 years ago that in your 70s, you would buy another house and be flying back and in forth? In a different and state. But longevity has changed. You know, people... People are having babies when they're four. You know, they start. They get married in their thirties. I know, but having a baby in your forties is an awful idea. <laughs> our, our parents got married then when they were teenagers. This is a good uh, wraparound because you said longevity has changed, and I'm just gonna flip the switch a little bit or shift. Longevity has changed. You had a lot to do with that in your career. What yes, you did in your career i think this in our family we do not talk about your incredible career enough 
No, I don't know why you don't. We don't have plaques in every room of the house. I know. First of all, our smoothie mommy. Our, how many patents do you hold at Abbott? Uh, I don't remember. Five, six, maybe. Oh what? my god! <laughs> like I was like, oh my god, two. You have five <laughs> or six patents. No, no. See, listen. It's not really that incredible or nothing. You know, nothing. Anything. It's just very mediocre. The pattern, when you work for a company, you the number of patterns are really not that significant, you know? Okay. Mm-hmm. Out of that, only one made it to the product. Okay. Okay. Um, which is the HIV uh, antigen test. You did that? Well, I was part of the basic research. Yeah. And then I was not, I was not, there were like 50 other people because this, it's like a it's it's like a village thing, you know. It's not one person. Mine was the basic, mine was the basic uh, patent. But that's you work for the company, and it's just a job. It's just a job. I I yes, okay, all of that may be true. <laughs> How many other people in our family have a patent? Much less six. I know, but they have different achievements, right? Yes, but we're not talking to them. <laughs> talking to you right now you like you said earlier at the time that you were went back into the workforce nannies and child care and that stuff wasn't as widely available so you were also balancing i mean the classic conundrum of being a working woman in the 80s which is i'm supposed to work like i don't have kids i'm supposed to take care of my kids like i don't have a job and take care of parents like i'm the daughter-in-law you're the primary caregiver and make sure that your husband feels like it's the 50s and oh there's dinner on the table and this and that but i mean we we once the kids were young and i started working initially i was working like five dollars an hour job temporary because nobody would give me a job so you know i used to work in the lab where i was more qualified than my bosses but i started mopping the floors uh, and but I was determined. This is you are nobody's gonna tell me to go back to India and why are you here? And your husband is a director here, and what are you doing? Those kind of things. So we put up with all this, you call it discrimination or you call it whatever you want to call yeah. it. Right? Yeah. But that made me more determined than ever that uh, I will get somewhere. And from that and the, the building that I was working in the lab and mopping four or five years down the road, my picture was in the same building. I am amazed that you didn't rub it in people's faces. <laughs> that would have been like... I was not in a position to rub in the faces because you know, I wanted a job. Now you can. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's true. But I think that's 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 something that I tell young people or in the kids. You know, if you are determined to get someplace, you can do it. Let go of your ego. Be always prepared to learn. You can never stop learning. You know. I used to tell people in my lab that if janitor came and told me that this is a better way of doing things, I would listen. There is no shame in learning from somebody else. It's almost like you just said it like a throwaway, but it is one of the most important pieces of advice I think we've ever heard on this podcast, which is let go of your ego. Let go of your ego. Isn't that what Gita is teaching? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. We all can, you know, say the Gita and we all can read the scriptures. But when it comes to actual practicality, people find it very hard to, to let go of their ego. I think that's that's what we both believe in is that going to the temples and listening to scriptures doesn't make you believe in all this. You have to bring it in your own life. Yeah. And it's and it's hard. The letting go of the ego it's is it's very hard. It's the lifetime spiritual practice, right? That you get beyond your, I am a person, I'm an individual, me, me, whatever the me is about. I'm smart, I'm this, I'm that, I'm too good for this. I'm whatever your I am asserting, getting past that to say, I am a child of the stars and I'm no different than the flowers and the trees and the dust, right? And so what, what is different from me than anything else? But it's so hard to do that. And I think we grew up in a society where women were not given that much importance or, you know, uh, we are always the backseat. Yeah. So were, you were determined, you were determined to be a career woman. Well, I wanted to work. I mean, I wanted to work. I had so much education. I wanted to do research and that's what my interest was. And once the kids grew up, you know, um, and money. I mean, when both of us are working, hey, when the kids are young, the money always helps. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, of course. Not all idealistic thing. And my professors and all actually at times were disappointed in me because I chose to go to industry rather than an academics. Uh-huh because they always thought that I, I needed to be, my research, whatever was better for academics. And so they, they when I took a job at Abbott, they say, you sold out. We were high hopes for you and you chose to go to industry. It was a good company. It was stable home life. It was easier because then when kids were young and sick, uh, we would go, I would go to work at like 6.30 in the morning. Ujwal would stay home with the sick kids, load them up in the car, bring it to the parking lot and we switch cars and then he would work and I'd go home. So, I mean, we both had to, you know, if the kids are young, that's what you do, right? You do the same thing. I mean, that was the best place to work. And Abbott is a great company. I think it's, I got to where I got to is because of the people I work with, you know, because don't rise anywhere without the help of you know you you always have somebody holding your hand either you're absolutely right that you know yes you have six patents but it's not like you did all of the work and it was a hundred percent what you did this isn't back in the like you know 1700s when someone's just sitting there sketching and they're like i came up with the like butter churning machine and now (laughs) i'm going to patent that right that is something that you could tinker and figure out yourself an antigen test for HIV, you couldn't do that on your own if you tried because this, all of the, the pieces of science are so complex. And then the engineering is even, you know, there's a level of engineering, which is like, if you're doing basic research science, then you hand that over to the engineers to turn into a product. That, you know what you said was something very important because that, that's the main thing where a lot of people go to industry because it's their support, it, that support is there, okay? If you are in academia, you're doing basic work, you're publishing papers, I publish papers and all that. 
you don't know where your research is going to when you are working in the industry there is a there is a goal there so when i started working there was a goal is to make that test because there was a need for aids was very new in 8283 right yeah right so that's it's it's very satisfying to see that you work 10 hours a day down the road you know company made lots of money uh and it was of some use as a product went out which lot of the college people even their research is great not everything goes to product oh yeah so, absolutely very little actually maybe it is lot more more controlled in industry because it's everything is attached to money right but it's different i think i think the best part is you know they there is a path to success not everything succeeds yeah i see what you mean like there's a plan at least you might have to change the plan but you're on a project you're going towards something right right like few of my patterns that you know i was working on it was good but when it time came to develop the actual test the need was not there mm-hmm. so we don't get anything out of patent was there a time that you remember so you worked at abbot for ever for yeah, 30 years I, or something 30 plus years yeah 30 plus years was there a time that you remember a shift in how people looked at you how 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 women were were you know treated in the industry how the respect level or anything like it's very gra- it's very gradual very gradual but being an indian woman with the accent which you can't change it is what it is uh it, it i always had struggle my boss always used to say you know you write emails a lot uh you don't talk when there are issues you know and i said there are two reasons first of all when i pick up the phone and talk to somebody who probably knows or does not know me they kind of tune me out because i sound different when i write email my thought processes are more i know exactly what i'm writing and then i can demand the answer back and i get good results so that struggle was always there and it was frustrating because even though you're smart and better than 10 other people just because you are women woman of color you call it or indian origin whatever you want to call it uh if you want to define as a discrimination or people's ideas whatever you want to call it but that struggle the glass ceiling is much lower yeah i don't know how much that has changed it has changed of course it has changed but it has changed i think it's gotten more subtle it's got more subtle it's gone up certainly the glass ceiling has risen for almost all women and then the areas where it's lower it's more subtle that it's lower right and for us it was very distinct because we sound different okay so they just assume that when somebody you know they just the vision that they have is of a comedian they see on tv talking like an indian person and they just think that this is that person and it's very hard to just climb over and 
get your point across. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, and the, you know, the subtle things are like, Kosh and I have talked about this before, I think on the podcast, even like, I don't know how many times our resumes got thrown out because people looked at our names and said, yeah, I don't know what the, who's that? What's that? Or is that, is that a, do I say Mr. Carson, you know, Mr. Baxi or Ms. Baxi? I don't know. I'm not going to deal with this. Yes, absolutely. The next person is a John Smith, and I know exactly how to talk to that person. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the kind of stuff you ne would never find out because no. you don't get that feedback, right? Oh, we, you, your, your resume got thrown away or just discarded immediately 50% of the time because you're, you have an unusual name and people didn't know how to talk to you. There's no way of telling that, and people aren't going to admit that. No. It's subtle. It's subtle. But, you know, it, you compensate by working hard that they cannot ignore. You, you have to work hard enough to a point where they cannot ignore you because they'll try. But did you ever have problem with the fact that you had to work so much harder to get the same respect or the same attention or the same focus as, you know, and I'm going to stereotype, I'm going to, you know, kind of paint with a broad brush, but as a middle-aged white guy who it doesn't have to work as hard and is somehow at the same level as you, even though you work harder, you do more, you are smarter, you know, you could run circles around that guy, but he is going to get the same attention as you. Like, did you ever just feel like you wanted to break things? Because that's how I feel sometimes. Absolutely. And this is not just with me or being an Indian woman. It's the same thing with Indian men too. It's with, with anybody who, uh, African-Americans, some of the Chinese folks, they are brilliant, but you know, the, the speech is different. And I think it just they puts them in a different category. So that's there, but you know what? That's a reality of life, first of all. And second of all, we always thought, well, we are here in their country. So you can claim that this is your country. When you are a first generation immigrant, you come with that, we are in their country. It's okay, we can work hard. The time will come. And I mean, look, look at how many Indians are up there. Okay. And I think that is as a result of the effort and, and work that has been put in in last 60, 70 years by Indian immigrants who came here. That's how the, you know, all the big CEOs who are Indians, you know, their parents worked through all these things. If they had just protested and complained, none of this would have happened. I think I read somewhere that almost every major technology company in the United States is now headed by an Indian man. Because they're hardworking people. Yes. No, the only one I think that held out is Salesforce. Is he's, that's still headed up by the original founder and owner, but Microsoft and... Google and but see, they are all second generation people. They're not the immigrants. They're the children of immigrants. Children of immigrants, right? So you know the first thing that happens is the first of all you're locally educated. Second of all, they they don't have Indian accent. Their language is better. Okay, no matter how hard we try, 
our vocabulary is limited, you know? Yeah. Your English is very good. It always has been very good. No, I was going to ask, like, did you go to an English medium school? Uh, no, but the college was English medium and I was teaching. I was teaching. And I think it's a lot of it is, I like language, you know, I think I'm, yeah. I'm you know, we play word game and spelling game and just, you yeah. know, that helps. Do you play Wordle? <laughs> no, I, I want to. I don't know how to. <laughs> so what's next for you as you, you know, you're retired, you've been retired for a while. You've not got this other snowbird place in Arizona and Mia's graduating this year. And then Jacob will be in fifth grade next year, right? Yes. And Sahana will hopefully go to school. Preschool or no, it will be preschool. Some she'll be... kind of school. If this COVID thing goes away, she can, poor thing has not been able to go to school or anywhere, you know? Yeah, that's, and hopefully they'll, they'll do the, the shots for kids under five soon. I hope so. I hope so. Because that, that would, you know, that would, that's holding everyone back. All those little That's kids, holding like, everyone back. Right. All the normal science focused people. Yes. The crazy science deniers <laughs> and the anti-vaxxers, the stupidity is holding. <laughs> right. So what's, what's on the, like, what's in the next chapter for you? Are you planning to do more traveling? I know you did a lot of traveling sort of when the kids were in college. Yeah. Less travel because I think we have been to most places and uh, not enough. And that's one of the reasons why we bought the snowbird house is to just have a change of scenery. Now it's just, I'm turning 75 this year. Don't really have any agenda. Just watch TV, cook food, enjoy, read books. I have started reading books after many, many, many years. I used to read a lot and then in between life took a different turn. But now we are back to, you know, back to reading lots of books. Do you and Ujumama have any like shared activities? Like, oh, we're going to, I saw that you both went hiking a lot when you were in Arizona, but here are there things that you're like, oh, we're doing this. And like, do you play, I don't know. I don't know that you play tennis, but like, oh, we're going to play tennis or we're going to play golf or something like we that. We play cards. We entertain a lot. Oh, we, I think except for grocery shopping, we do everything together. Grocery shopping also, if I let him, he would come with me. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't like it. I don't, those are the kind of errands <laughs> I don't like doing with anyone. Yeah, I, I don't either. I, it, I love going grocery shopping. You know, it's, it's my nirvana time is to like, whoa, this is fun. Yeah, it's wander around the aisles and look at things. Yeah, you plan your meals in the aisles, but, but we do everything together. We are, I think we are as, as opposite as you could be, but that's why we get along very well. We don't butt into each other's business because the stuff he does, I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> the stuff I do, he stays away from me. It's like kitchen. Yeah. Well, I think that's in some ways, that's like what a good partnership should look like. Right. Which is from a pure, like, if you think about it from a business standpoint, which at some point being married and raising a family and running a household is a business proposition. It um, is that you don't want redundancy of, you know, competency or capability, right? Why would you hire two CFOs? You've got one and that person's doing a good job, then you hire a COO or whatever it is. That's how it is with Justin and I, which is he handles the finances and the investing and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I could do it, 
if I had to, I would, absolutely. it would be so much harder for me. And so much like so much more boring. I'll be honest. Like I could, I'm not, I could do it. Right. I absolutely could. Um, I don't want to, and do you want to doing. do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If he's doing a great job, then. Yeah. And he likes it. A lot of time it is, you know, how, if two people are too similar, then they compete for everything. And then there will be arguments, but you have to have a, a common passion in your life so that you can sustain your relationship. And I think that's what Ujwal and I both have is certain passions about the house and we like things very similar. You know, you talked about curiosity and learning. I mean, your, your life, your retirement life has been so aspirational for me and Brian because you've traveled so much and you so do that together. Everything is like, let's go to Jordan. Let's go to Egypt. Like you're, you're it seems like, those passions are very similar. We like being together. We like each other's company. I mean, that's, that helps. <laughs> no, that helps a lot. Because I mean, otherwise in retirement time, if you can stand each other, you know, and at the same time, you have, you have to give space to, you know, you have to have your own. Well, liking each other's company is sometimes the only thing that carries you through the rough times where you're like, you know, especially... Well, not especially, just any time when things are in a rough patch and you're not, for any number of reasons, kids are little, somebody is sick, somebody has died, you know, we're, that we're looking at that in the next 15 to 20 years. That's the stage of life that, you know, we are now in, Kosha and I and Mohan Nujan Shito. Not that we want to think about it or that we're looking forward to it, but the reality is, that's around the corner. That's around the corner. Right. And, and not even our, you know, not even our parents and aunts and uncles and things like that, but even some of our peers yes. will be passing away. We are going through that right now. We, used to, we are at an age where we have started to lose friends. Yeah. And that's in those tough times when it's not easy and romantic and oh, as Justin says, uh, candle light and roses. It's not candle light and roses. Um, liking each other gets you through a lot, right? Just like, I like you. I can lean on you. Can we talk? Can you listen to me? Like that's what gets you through the times when you're like, oh, we can't always be having fun. No. And the other thing no. is, you know, I always say there's one thing to remember that you are not perfect. So don't expect perfect perfection from your partner. It's a good thing Justin doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I kid, but you know, I Kosha has heard me say for the longest time, like, well, I'm perfect. <laughs> very tongue in cheek. I know I'm not perfect. She's also but... very humble, very <laughs> modest. <laughs> I, I am. So I think you know, that that helps because that takes half of your anger down. That, well, you know what? Uh, I didn't do this right, probably. You no, know, I shouldn't complain. Move on. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that having a very similar background in terms of how you were raised and cultural expectations, has, has it made things easier or has it just made things different? You know, a lot of what, a lot of the arguments that 
I get in with Justin are really based in the fact that our family lives were so different growing up. We just come at our experience of the world is so vast, you know, vastly different. Um, and we get along really, really well for the fact that our lives, you know, our backgrounds are so, so, so different, but that when we do have almost, you know, sort of like butting heads, it's because we don't have any similarities to rely on. Do you think that helps or hurts or it's just a nothing like to have that sort of a lot of similarity and background? We don't know anything different. So uh, we came from very small community and we know each other. And I think there was so much to adjust to coming to a new country all alone. We were in our twenties that uh, I don't think we thought, I don't think we know anything different, you know? And I think that also like, you know, if you think about moving from a, everything that you knew to somewhere that you know nothing of and stuff like that, it it is a form of trauma. Yeah, yeah. It was a huge change. You're away from your parents, everything that you knew, you didn't know the language, all that stuff. And in trauma, people either can come together or they can go separate ways. And you and Ujul Mama very clearly came together during that time. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Most Indian families did. Because they came here alone. They didn't have any other families. Husband and wife were the only support to each other. Yeah. It's such a different mindset too. You know, the- Absolutely different mindset the way that your generation was raised to think about marriage. We never date most, most people in our generation. We never dated anybody else. So I don't have any other man to compare with him, whether he's better or worse than X, Y, Z and same thing with him. So I think that that's, that's one of the reason where arranged marriage is, overall did work because the, the commitment was there. There was never an issue that, oh, you're doing this, that the other guy, you know, I when I was dating with such and such, we don't know, it, this is it. We did have expectations for each other, but the way the Indian philosophy and religious philosophy or so, socioeconomic, whatever, social, uh, is that you learn to live with what you have been dealt. The Western world, you see that, you know, I'm an individual and I'm me, 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 me. It, Indian philosophy is not that way. So that's that's in our blood. I always think it's also really interesting. People ask me about, you know, your, oh, your parents had an arranged marriage. And so, okay, first of all, it's not what you, not how you're imagining it. No, it's not. Did they weren't promised to each other as babies and then they didn't have any choice. That's not how it was. It's like, it's a matchmaking system. It's a blind date. It's the blind date by family. That's what it is. Right. It's, oh, I, I know this person who has a daughter who's would be a good match for this person's son. And let's, let's see if they like each other. Right. And everyone, both parties have the right to say, no, no, thank you. Oh, that was nice to meet you, but no. So it's not nearly as like, you know, confined as people think it is. But the other thing I often say when people ask me about arranged marriage is one of the reasons why Western marriages fall apart is because people quote, fall out of love. The feeling of love is all hormonal. 
right? It's, it's a three to five, three year, three to four years at most to help you sort of connect and have baby and stay together until the baby's two or three years old. And then you get to five or six years and you go, oh, I don't feel the same way for this person as I did when we first got together, right? But we're not supposed to. In arranged marriages like yours and moms and dads and everything, there's no expectation of that butterflies in the stomach and, you know, oh, I just love this person so much and the candles and roses, as Justin says. That's not even an expectation. But we did have candles and roses too, you know. That you don't, people don't go into it all butterflies in their stomach and hearts a flutter thinking, oh, it's going to be like this forever. And then, you know, it's like, you like the person, you've had some time then, you're like, yeah, okay, we're going to do this. And, you know, as mom and dad say, you develop that love. Yes. That, and that comes, it's, the liking should be there. The compatibility should be there, but it's not based on hormonal butterflies and stomachs. No. You know, in seven years, when that goes away for most, you know, dating couples who got married, it's like, what's wrong? Uh, but in a, you know, arranged marriage, it's like, no, there's nothing wrong. This is the way it is. Sometimes it's easier. Sometimes it's harder, right? It's not always going to be the fun time. No. And you have to, you have to accept that. The, the other thing, the good thing about arranged marriage is at least back home when, when the house, is that the, the families knew each other so that the background, family background is similar. Your parents know you best where, where you will fit. And that helps. It's right now, the in-laws are not that close. It's just the involvement of parents and the family into the couple's life is less and less and less. It's like some good and some bad, right? Yeah. Involvement in the sense is just the, the bond, but it allows them to, you know, stick together too. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if it's like that in India. Like I know things are changing in India now. I haven't been back in quite some time. And every time mom goes, she's like, it's so different. You know, your generation has the best advantage because you you grew up in in uh, Indian more Indian culture, and as you move, you know the transition, slow transition, has made you better people because you have a good balance of values. I I would like to think so that growing up in the states, but having parents who came from a culture and a family life that was very connected and communal and that you know maintaining relationships with not just your immediate siblings but also aunts uncles cousins outside of you know grandparents outside of that small bubble is important is really really important I've always been surprised when I hear people who say, I, I don't really talk to my siblings. Like we see each other at Christmas or Thanksgiving, but where I don't really talk to them. I'm not friends with them. We're not close. And I think, how could that even be possible? Um, because I'm so close to my siblings. I know Mohanuj and Sheetal are so close. We're close to them. Like, 
this idea that you could just be like, eh, my family, I don't really care for them is just a very foreign idea to me. But you know, the family closeness is here too. If you look at Matt's family and all the huge family, they're very close. Their family and their relationship with their parents and siblings are not much different than ours. So it's, it's here too, you know, Anuja family, I'm sure, you know, they are very close to so I, and um, I see Brian and, you know, how, how your families, uh, you know, Justin's family and all that, that we have known them. So it's, it's here too, but maybe that's how you chose them, right? Because their family background or the way they think is very similar to how you grew up. I mean, I think that is true. I can't speak for Kosha, but certainly for me, it was, even though our experiences were very different, that the base, the shared values of like, what are we trying to do here? And how do we think we should interact with each other or our families or right? That sort of the basis of shared values was there. So by default, you pick boys who were in line with the same thought process, you know? Or well, I, you know, I think about a couple of the guys that I did date before I met Brian and I cannot imagine introducing mom and dad to their parents like now you know <laughs> right just yeah. like or and there's different kinds of families throughout but that that their families just didn't have very similar values in terms of how important family is and you know things like that and I'm like oh my god I can't imagine introducing xyz to you know to mom and dad so we have covered a lot of territory. We've talked about your education. We've talked about your kids. We talked about growing up. We've talked about your working. We talked about, you know, sort of your, your courtship so much. Uh, so now I'm going to ask you a general question, which you can answer in any way you want to, right? If you were giving advice to your younger self, let's say, or to a woman who is similar that would be similarly in your position what would you say to that person what advice would you give i i, I don't know work hard don't give up and don't get uh, worked up over discriminations and all that you know have faith in yourself and maybe don't hang on to your kids too much <laughs> Don't hang on to your kids too much. You know, let go at some point in time, because as they grow older, you have to let go. And be your own person. I mean, I think that's, that's one of the things that I've always looked at you at, at, again, aspirationally is that you and Ujumama, but you've always been like who you are and you never, you didn't define yourself as a wife or a mother you were smurthy mommy, well, or a mommy, you know, <laughs> or an aunt, but you were, you were smurthy and all of these other things were part of your life. They were not, they, they you didn't identify as them. No, no. And I think, I think it has a lot to do with the support you get for your husband because he, if he had clamped me down or treated me badly, I probably wouldn't have been able to, you know, so yeah. I think it, it sees, you see that in your mom and dad, that they support each other. 
they absolutely do, but I think it's been much harder for mom to let her kids go. I think, and and it it's partially right. It's partially because there's a huge spread. So, it, mom and dad were raising kids for thirty some years you know, to like actually leave the house. So that's a long time to be in one phase. And then to, to Smoothie Mommy's point before, even when there were no children in the house, right? Their kids, Ma was there and Bobby was sick. And now she's, you know, and it's always been, it was, if it wasn't taking care of the kids, it was taking care of their parents. Right. Yep. 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 That's a, that's a great point. Kosha is that Ma was there for a really long time. And at the, I would say at least I'm probably overestimating, but it seems like at least seven to 10 years, she lived with mom and dad almost exclusively. Yep. I know that. So it's hard. It's hard to, and now she's taking care of Bobby. I mean, the, with all her health issues and she's still doing it. She, she is. I'm very proud of mom that she, and Bobby has taken this a lot more. She's just been so much more chill about it than Ma ever would have been. But to be in a nursing home and mom's like, no, I can't do like that. Mom would say, no, I cannot take care of you here at home. You need to go to a place where they can take care of you professionally. You know, Ma needed that at one point. She couldn't be left at home at all by herself. And she, this is what I don't understand, right? This is the challenge. I think maybe my generation has. Who is the one in charge here? It's not Ma, it's mom and dad. Ma would just throw a tantrum and then I would be like, she's a child. You treat her like a child. No, you can't. That's that's the difference in your generation in our generation. That they difference. This is where I go. What do you mean you can't? What is she going to do? What is she going to do? Is she going to leave? She's not going to leave. She has nowhere to go. She's going to what? She's going to hold her breath till she passes out. Okay. Then you'll start breathing when you pass. Like, it's like dealing with the three-year-old. What are you going to do? You're going to run away from home. Okay. Be my guest. You're going to walk down the street and come back. Say, is he safe then then? It's, it's your husband's mother. I think this is the difference. In, in <laughs> I what, think this okay, is the difference. We're not going to get anywhere here because this is that cultural difference that we talked about the fact is in Shale Street, like for us, we absolutely putting my mom in a, in a nursing home when she starts getting squirrely, like that is me taking care of her, right? Uh, or us taking care of her. The method is different. Whereas Ma would have, like, you just, you wouldn't even think about that. No, you didn't. You're a bad, you're a bad child. That's a, you know, that's also, I'm not in the position of doing that. So that's one thing yet. Like, I don't have to deal with that on my, my parents' side or on Justin's parents' side. I think the other thing that's so very different in Indian culture, you know, daughters go to their, to their husband's families. And so the daughter-in-law is the caretaker for in-laws, right? In Western culture, daughters take care of their parents. And so I I have some responsibility and obligation to Justin's parents, but not the same way that his sister does. And it's not even that I am giving that up. It's that my mother-in-law is not comfortable with me doing that. 
She doesn't want me to do it in the way that she wants her daughter to do it. And I try, I tried, but that is not what my mother-in-law wants from me. She doesn't want that help. She wants it from her daughter. She's like, you're my daughter-in-law. It's different. And that's in India, in Indian culture, that is, that is absolutely the expectation that comes from an in-law. But you are still considered outsiders. Okay. You're still outsiders, but you service here. You are, you are brought here to service this family. And you are an indentured servant. I mean, it's changing now. Things, things in last 50 years, it has changed a lot. And we come from community that's educated community. Nagars, everybody is highly educated. So their thought processes are a little different, but in rural area, it's just it's, it's bought and sold thing, you know, still. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So our last question, we asked this to everybody and, uh, you know, uh, Sheetal, I remember Sheetal's Familac. So Familac means, you know, dialect within families. Sheetal's Familac was the only Gujarati word that they use is don't do ducha. Ducha duch. Ducha duch nakalish. Yeah. Like, do, so <laughs> even, even Matt says don't do ducha. Like to, to take up when he's, when he's shoving food. But also, you know, Eric, um, he wanted chole puri. And he asked mom to make chanya chori. <laughs> so it's like stuff like that that now we use all the time right do you have any examples of your of family act in your in your life you know what i ujwal has a couple of them which i think all of us i think initially when they were younger it was hakuna matata like everything ujwal has everything when he's mad or stressed out everything is hakuna matata so he, he just, says it <laughs> the exact opposite of what it's supposed to be no he would say hakuna matata when he's mad no i mean like this would take the stress away oh okay 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 oh so it he used like it a, appropriately like a mantra it for was him. like a mantra <laughs> now in later years is now hunky dory <laughs> i would pay some money to hear ujamama say hakuna matata and yeah. hunky dory <laughs> used to now it is few years is hunky dory so if he's mad, he says it to de-escalate his own self. Yeah, it's just okay. if, the, if the conversation is is heating up, then he would just say, just do hakuna madara. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. No, no, hunky dory is the same thing. Basically, it's, it's a different language. <laughs> right, yeah, right, right, right. Just do that. Like, I actually like heard- it's like, just, just do some deep breathing or meditation. Yeah, right. I heard a therapist, I heard a therapist say like, if you're arguing, um, lay down, like both people lay down because you cannot have the same argument in the same heated way. Oh, that's good. Down. That is Ujomama's, that's his bell. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, honky-dory. It takes the intensity down. Like, you know, it, this is the time to stop it. It is just, let go. It I think I would be scared if I heard Ujomama like get mad. He gets mad, but we don't argue. We just... Well, because he says hunky-dory all the time. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can't argue with that. No, I think that everybody has a different way of dealing with, you know, uh, arguing is not um, our way. We both, we both shy away from confrontation of any kind, whether it's home or out at work or what. A confrontation is not something, you know, we just walk away from confrontation. 
situation. Yeah. yeah. Well, I could, I could learn that lesson a little bit more. <laughs> I, I'm not, I wouldn't say, I don't love confrontation, but my approach to problems is like, let's just deal with it now when it's a small problem instead of sitting on it. And then it's going to be a big problem later. Right. Which after being married to Justin for almost 20 years, I have learned that sometimes small problems just go away that you don't, right. If it's a minor irritation after a couple of days, you're over it and you don't need yeah. to talk about it. And most of them are minor irritation. It gives you a chance to think before you start going, argue, argue. Uh, that, well, there is somewhere in the middle, you know, maybe you did something wrong. Maybe I said something wrong and that's just move on. But I also think sometimes you do need to have that conversation relatively quickly, right? That you can't, you can't just keep pushing it down and keep, oh, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. Cause sometimes it is a big deal. Yeah. Well, and then you, you become like a messy arguer. And then you're like, remember three years ago when you close the door on my face. Like I'm so <laughs> mad about that, you right. know, and instead of just getting out. So carry that resentment and hurtful feelings. Then I think the thing is, if you can actually let it go, that's great. You sit on it a couple of days and you're like, no, actually I'm not upset about that. It's not a big deal. Let it go. But if you sit on it a couple of days and you're still mad about it, and then you sit on another week and a week and a week, it's not gone. But I think that's, that's the biggest learning that anybody can do, especially young people growing older while you are in the middle of it is to learn to do that is to learn to let go. I thought you're going to tell me to learn to argue because I'm very good at arguing. <laughs> Smurdy mommy, you have been. Oh, it's awesome. so fun to talk to you. It was fun. It's been so fun to be very honest. I wasn't sure, but it was fun. It was really fun. I go, this is what we're going to do. And then she texts me back. I go, we'll talk about this. We can talk about this. You could tell me, we don't want to talk about that. And she goes, okay, you ask the questions. I will answer. <laughs> that, like, that's how we're going to do this. The thing is like, it's so easy that you're talking to, you know, you're talking to us. Yeah. Your girls, basically. After two hours of talking to you two, there's one thing that I kind of regret, not regret this wrong word. I feel sorry that we are not meeting each other often enough that we should, you know, we used to know when you guys were younger and all that, we used to all hang out. That's true. I was just thinking that is like, we haven't had this kind of depth of conversation in a long time and, you know, life gets in the way, but now we're, now that we know it, we should fix it. Maybe in summer, just, just hang out in the afternoon, you know, and it's as easy as bring something to eat and come over in the afternoon, you know? Everybody's busy with million things going. Logistics are more of a problem. This is impetus to text Sheetal again and say, hey, Sheetal, hey, Sheetal. I do feel, I do feel better that Smriti Mami also has problems texting Sheetal. But it's not personal, right? It's just who she is. We love you so very much. Thank, Thank you, you for this your is time so great. and uh, for, for coming on. If I sound horrible, just delete the whole thing. You no, do you don't sound, sound horrible. horrible. You sound great. <laughs> and I think Kosh and I absolutely appreciated the opportunity to hear about your life and <laughs> nothing exciting. From, from one, from your perspective, but two, things that, you know, in the normal getting together, we wouldn't be able to sit down and have a two hour conversation like this. Yeah, that's true. 
That's true. Like I had no idea how you and Ujamama met. I just figured. Yeah, we tell, we tell that story to everybody because it, everybody's passing. How can you, how can you get married and meet each other? <laughs> it's also the kind of thing, the family lore that just like, oh, we've already told this story. And then like you get to a certain place and you're like, I have never heard this story. Because your mom also knows. Yeah, mom knows and the mom didn't tell us. This was so awesome to really yeah. just sit down and, as adults and and talk like adults, you know, and, and that was just lovely. So we really appreciate your time. Thank and, you. Uh, we love you so much and we will see you soon. Yes, we will. Yeah. And happy birthday, Shalu. Thank you. Thank you so much. We'll talk. We'll see you soon. Okay. Bye-bye.